Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hi, this is Nancy Yerald, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And I have a wonderful gentleman here today. Ron Baker's here, and welcome to High Road to Humanity, Ron. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited you're here. You know, he is also somebody who channels Gabriel, Archangel Gabriel, way longer way before I ever did. So I was like, <laughs> this is crazy. So I'm really glad you're here. He has a cool book out. It's called Bright Lights, Big Empty. I'm sorry I don't have it in my hand. Do you have a copy you can hold up there, Ron? Uh, it's actually right behind me on that so people can zoom in. Okay, I can see it. I can yeah, see it. Okay. Yeah. It's Bright Lights and Big Empty. It's a journey of profound awakening by Ron Baker. And it's a really awesome read. Let me give you a little information about Ron before we get going. So sit back and relax. So he says, after walking away from a career in the performing arts to focus on guiding individuals into a surprising new approach to personal transformation, Ron Baker has spent 25 years, you guys, as a bioenergetics therapist, a healer, a speaker, and now a best-selling author. He's nurtured nurtured thousands into meaningful empowerment through his school of self-mastery and inspired millions to come together for worldwide events that he has led from sacred sites around the globe. Well, and his website is ronbaker.net. I'm just so excited you're here and I can't wait to hear your story. Um, tell the audience, I mean, I know I read some of your story of what happened, but you were big in the <laughs> entertainment industry you were very successful on Broadway, in the opera. And then what happened? You were on a bus. I love this story. <laughs> so I actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to start before that and okay. say yeah. the, back, the back story to this mm -hmm. is growing up in a household with a father who never said one single thing to me. I know. I read Not that. one single conversation my entire childhood. And so this confused little boy so wanted to figure out how to be seen, how to know that I mattered because the confusion and the invalidation of it was huge. So when I discovered that I had some talents, that began to create attention from people, not necessarily my father in the same way I would have liked. Right. And so that led me to go after this international career. And I had the privilege of doing over 60 leading roles all over the world. And when I went to make my debut at Lincoln Center in New York, if you don't know the performing arts, it's probably the most famous performing arts center in the United States. Yeah. And so here I was in Glamourville. Yeah. And I made my debut. And I still felt like the little boy from North Carolina whose father never spoke to him. I know. And I want to stop you a minute because I read something in your book last night that really touched me. Mm. And it was when you he took you to try out for a basketball. Yes, of course. And um, I was just like floored because I'm a parent. I have yeah. children. And, you know, and, and I guess tell if you don't mind, would you tell that story so people really get a feel for what you went through? Because in my mind, it's like, why didn't he just buy you a basketball? Yeah, no, it was crazy. Do you mind telling that a little bit? I do not mind at all. Okay. Um, basically, I was fearless as a child and I did all kinds of athletic things like diving and swimming and doing tricks on the neighbor's trampoline and stuff. I was very comfortable in my body. Right. However, this story took me by surprise. My father, who never said a conversation to me, would sometimes call me and then go, go mow the grass, take out the trash, whatever. That mm -hmm. was all I got. So mm -hmm. I heard my name and I came running to see what was up. And all he said was, go put on a clean T-shirt. And so I did. And I came back and he goes, your hair is too long. 
And he went inside and grabbed a pair of scissors and came back outside and just began chopping my hair off. Mm -hmm. Then he said, get in the car. He and I had never gone anywhere as just the two of us. That's so, so had, crazy weird, isn't it? I, I mean, how you I'm like, gosh, okay. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. So I was eight. And so we got in the car and drove in silence somewhere. And we finally pulled into a parking lot on the other side of town. And I saw all these other kids in t-shirts walking with their dads to some brick building. And we got to the door and I looked in and I saw two brightly lit basketball courts. Now, my father was a semi-pro athlete. Oh, no kidding. You did, I didn't know that. I missed that. Semi-pro athlete, and okay. he was he was the coach of the high school basketball team before I was born. Not one time had he ever invited me out in the yard to play catch, throw, shoot, anything. So That's... I'd never done anything with a ball. And so here I was. He had decided it was time to take me to the City League basketball tryouts, and I had never held a basketball in my hands. And so I was a complete whack in this tryout. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know the vocabulary. So just to shoot something in case you're not familiar with basketball. Oh, I am. To, I was a cheerleader. Well, I, I just mean, yeah, well, some of <laughs> some of the listeners, I mean, though. Oh, so, yeah. so even if they don't know basketball, just to shoot something like a layup, Right. I'd never, I'd never heard it. You have to be able to bounce the ball with one hand, eventually guide it forward, speeding oh, up, yeah. and at some point grab the ball, leap in the air, throw it against a backboard and into the hoop. Now, that's a lot of skills for somebody who's never even held a ball. Well, I just so want to, can I ask you a question? Why didn't you just, why didn't you just say, dad, I don't want to do this? Because you couldn't say anything to the man. I'd never had a conversation. Why would it occur to me that I had a choice? Okay. Why would it occur to me that I could initiate a conversation? Okay. Because I'm just like, I, why didn't you just say, look, I'm not doing this. <laughs> just like... I, I was eight years old and extremely shy at uh -huh. that point around my father. Right. And so this is what he expected. He'd never asked me to do anything before. Okay. And so he, uh, so I was going to do anything I could to show up. And so the bottom line is they picked teams and I was obviously one of the last ones picked. Yeah. I ended up on the city championship team and we finished the tryouts and I was completely devastated and embarrassed. No one mentioned it. And we got in the car and drove home in complete silence not one word of encouragement, not one word of anything. And so I got home and that whole week I kept thinking, surely my father is going to show up and teach me what I need. Yeah, right. And get me a basketball and figure it out on myself. Nothing, no mention, no nothing. And it became a weekly ritual of hell. And that is a centerpiece of mm -hmm the relationship that I had growing up. It right. was just completely devastating, embarrassing, invalidating, et cetera. I'm so sorry. So, I'm sorry. So, well, <laughs> but, but you go, went out on stage. I mean, it just says why you went out. It's interesting, you know, because now you can look back and think, okay, that's why I did that. That's why I had to be on Broadway because I had to I, be seen because my own yeah, father didn't see me. It totally yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I had to figure out a way to impress him, to get his attention, et cetera. And so I did all that. And then I realized no amount of validation or success because right. I was getting applause. I was signing autographs. I was and none of that yeah. was going to take away the inner wounding. Did he However, ever come? Did he come to see you? Did he come he, to the... He did come okay. to one performance. Like I did 60 shows. I know. I was I like, wow. One, one performance in New York and one performance at the San Francisco Opera mm. and one performance of Phantom. When I did the title role in Phantom, he came to that. And so it was never a question of getting his validation. Right. I, but 
the good news. Let's put the silver lining on it. Yes, I love it. What it taught me was something about our soul journeys as humans. Right. I now understand because I went on this journey of seeking deeper answers and truths because I always believed those were possible. Mm-hmm. And so as I sought out teachers in every culture and approach and indigenous people and traditional people, and and I began to put together the pieces for myself and realized we are all on these sacred journeys mm-hmm. and our soul sets up the specific challenges and gifts that we're going to need for a lifetime mm-hmm. in those early years. And so because my father gave no nurturing whatsoever in my journey, it put a ton of focus on that and the importance of that. Mm -hmm. And so I went through my adult life, putting together the pieces of what had been missing. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to provide the levels of nurturing to myself that I needed. Then I began sharing it with other people and they started having profound breakthroughs. And so ultimately not only did I learn how to be a nurturing father to myself, right? it eventually led to the fulfillment of my deepest soul purpose, which has been playing a nurturing father-like figure to thousands of people around the world. And if he had given me a mediocre level of nurturing, he wouldn't have done I it. Probably I would have just settled for that and would not have shifted my focus there at all. I think that's, that's cool. Yeah. Well, it's true though, because, you know, Ron, I can relate to you because my mom was a narcissist. So I got no love whatsoever, but, yeah. uh, you know, somebody said to me not too long ago, you need to thank her because she was your greatest teacher. Mm. And she was because just like you, I wouldn't have realized, but what I got from your book, there was, I got a lot from your book, <laughs> but what I really got was something that, um, you know, I've talked about on the show and, and I don't know if people have really understand it. So I want to bring it up today. It's really connecting with your inner child. And, you know, I used to laugh at people when they said this, I used to go, he, 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 mm-hmm. well, you know what? it's not a laughing matter. We all have this little kid inside of us, just like you did, who needs to be loved. And I really feel like that's a key. That's like the key part to this is loving that inner child and make and establishing a relationship with your inner child. Can you talk about that? Because I really um, feel that that's what you went through, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if we go back to the idea of soul journeys, mm-hmm. it seems to me that the development of self mm-hmm. is the centerpiece of our lives, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought the centerpiece of my life was going to go out for this career that was going to give me validation, right. but it just kept pointing me back to myself. And all those teachers, even though they came from different approaches, all said, learn how to connect to your inner self. Right. Know thyself. So when I began to put together my particular approach, I like to create and provide very simple, clear maps for people. And so creating a map of the whole self was one of the most important things. And I now realize that when we're born, we have three facets of self that are held inside us in potential. And that is the child, the adult, and the soul. And it means a whole lot more than just stages of growth in chronological or size. So the soul sets up the curriculum for our lifetime in those child years. And that kind of programs the nervous system like the hard drive of a computer. And that is where we hold the challenges and the gifts, but we also hold this gorgeous potential for wonder, innocence, and trust. But those get pretty squashed when our nurturing needs are not met. So all of that is held inside. And then when we move into adulthood, we have the profound potential of facing those challenges and learning and seeking the help we need and learning how to, like I did, provide what had been missing so that we can create wholeness and resolve the specific challenges that are there. Mm -hmm. And so learning first 
<laughs> what those, the alternatives are is what I focus on in my work. And I called it developing an adult reality check. Oh, I like it. Okay. If the adult has all this understanding about the soul journey, about why we're here, about what we need, and we fill in an education, and this is truly important, create new experiences of those things that had been missing, because we ultimately only trust whatever we experience. And so once we've educated, it's so important to delve into creating consistent, reliable experiences of all those nurturing needs. And then the adult not only trusts that it's possible and that I do matter and you do matter, but we can then go back to the inner child, which is frozen in whatever the early experiences were and mm -hmm. whatever decisions we made about all of that, like I don't matter and I my needs aren't important and I'm totally on my own, whatever we decided the good, bad, right, wrong of it all that we decided as a child, most people carry throughout their lifetimes and never okay. learn how to nurture and resolve and create an alternative. And that is what the work I do is focused on. And it is profound oh, yeah. to watch the consistent transformation that takes place. Yeah. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, only because I've done it myself. I had to. I went yep. through, I went through a hard time in my life and then I realized that I had to do this work and it, and until you do it and you even talk about it and I think even Gabriel when you channel talks about it, you just keep having the same relationships over and over and over because you haven't gone in and done anything about it. But when well, you go in and look at it and then you start to heal it, then you can start to have healthy a relationship with yourself and then healthy relationships with other people, you know? Yeah, I, li I like to help people understand that there's perfection in recreating the same limitation from childhood, because what it equals is the soul is not going to let us just skip over the curriculum. Right. And so we literally resonate with those limitations. And so we attract very similar people, situations, archetypes, the things that reflect to us what is held inside. Mm -hmm. And so this gives us the privilege of time to face it and the extra challenge that there's no escaping it. No, there isn't. Because otherwise everybody would just try to escape it. <laughs> and we, so. we wouldn't really learn anything well and that's true and you know we're down here to learn and i think that's everybody's got to get to this point i'll just tell you how i feel that we're mm -hmm. that they realize that we are here to learn that this is why we're here we're here to not be punished this is not no. a place to be punished this is the place where we learn and evolve our souls and i just really like that you talked about the inner child because i used to poo poo it and then i learned uh, and then now, and I don't know about you, I'm just going to be honest. I check in with my inner child every day, every single day. Yeah. How do you do it? You know, and people may think it's nuts, but it's not nuts because sometimes I'll check in and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. and when your inner child is happy, I can only say this from, and I want to hear your feeling on this, then you're happy. So there are so many pieces of what you just shared that I, I want to respond to. That's why my pause. So I'll start with, it is crucial to spend time with the inner self and find out that the child is not the only perspective on any situation, but has already established decisions that the child thinks is a matter of life and death. Now let's just give it this. Think about a house that you saw as a child and the house seemed huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go back as an adult to visit and you're like, oh my God, that yeah. is not big at all. True, But yeah. it was to my child self. Well, facing the inner challenges can be exactly the same. When we realize the child part is a frozen set of decisions and experiences Mm -hmm. And then we can learn to show up and build this adult awareness 
And if we go inside and begin to trust the nurturing, then I can honestly say not one single client in 25 years has ever discovered that they're unsafe with the process of rediscovery and reparenting the nervous system. Right. And so I literally show you how in this book that I went back to my childhood events. I showed you how my child saw it. And then I made the revelations of how my adult could now make tons more discoveries. Mm -hmm. And I show how I nurture that child and teach, in my case, him to trust and see a whole different level of freedom. So once we've begun to do that transformation, then we free ourselves from the limitations of the same old limitations. Well, same yeah, same people <laughs> try to. Yeah, Can I, I want to talk about a couple of things in your book, and I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but there's so much in here that I resonated uh, with. You know, you talk. Um, OK, so I just I don't know if you want to explain to the audience that um, you have a friend that was channeling. Archangel Gabriel, you guys did a lot of traveling. A lot of that channeling is in the book. There's a lot of really cool information in there. Some of the stuff I wrote down. One thing I wrote down and talked uh, that I wanted you to talk about was the six pointed star. Now, I wonder, is this the uh, um, Merkaba that you're talking about when you say, okay, because I've had, okay, so it's activating the Merkaba. And I just thought that was interesting. But I wanted to say that I wrote down this and this is, I wanted to share this with the audience. So Gabriel says six-pointed star that is was aligned with the heavens on January 23rd. And this was back in 1997. I thought this was interesting. But the six-pointed star is an ancient symbol that represents the coming together of the whole. And I didn't know this. And it yes. says joining the lower self, higher self in the heart center, the, the chakra of consciousness. So the heart, you know, is the, is the chakra of consciousness. But he says that um, the downward represents three chakras of the higher self that must move down and be grounded within the body, where the other side is uh, is up. So it's like, it kind of made me think, okay, so our Merkaba is activated. So it's, we see heaven and we see earth as above, so below. Is that what you were, is that what you were going for here? Is that what Gabriel was talking about with the Merkaba? So the bottom line is that, our human self that doesn't get nurtured ends up trapped in that wounded child. Right. That is the lower self. Mm -hmm. It is the triangle that points upward and it would naturally move up into more and more of our potential if we felt nurtured and safe. But because like myself with a father who never said anything to me, I became very trapped in limited choices and fear, shame, judgment, etc. Gotcha. So that lower self remains separate from my higher self, my spiritual self, or my soul self. Mm -hmm. So as we claim the adult, and then we go back and reparent the child, the child can then begin to grow and blossom as we guide the process in the conscious mind of the heart. Right. And we prepare ourselves to be ready for the highest levels of our potential. And so the soul self can begin to penetrate. So when you have the upper and the lower coming together is how you create a whole sense of self. Mm -hmm. So you are the wonder of the child, the empowerment of the adult, and the greatness of the soul all in one person. And that is the journey. And it takes many, 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 many lifetimes. I know. Taking more and more steps. But that six-pointed star is relevant because we are awakening on the planet mm -hmm. to soul consciousness mm -hmm. in a way that we never have in history. Okay. And if you just look at the last 30 years we have accelerated in information and consciousness and discoveries in 30 years, more than in the last 3000 years on the planet. That didn't just magically happen at this time. It is because the energies are awakening and moving us into the soul self coming in and saying it's time 
to let go of being stuck in wounded child, mm-hmm. time to wake up into a next level of potentials. And that's why you're hearing such different conversations on the planet versus how it was in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Right. It really began to accelerate in the 90s for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the conversation and the teachers and the things that are part of our natural it's cool, isn't it? it's so cool that we're waking up but you it. still have to go in and right. do the nurturing work on yourself it doesn't just magically happen that right. would rescue from the curriculum and that's right. not going to happen so we all need to seek out teachers who mm-hmm. can help us understand the journey understand the tools and how we can do it in a safe and nurturing way yeah, that's why I do the show. All right. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to tell you something. Every time I do one of these shows, the audience knows this. So I've been doing this for a while, Ron. Mm-hmm. learn so much from every person like yourself who comes Yay. and has a story to share. And, you know, the information that you bring us is so valuable because like you said, we all have to go within and it's each one of us that goes within. And that's, what's going to raise the vibration is each person raising their own vibration in themselves. Yeah, And the more each one of us shows up to help ourselves, the more right. we inspire other people. I'll give you an example of one client who came to me at 19 years old, which is unusual to come to this level of work at such a young age. Mm -hmm. But because he shifted his life so powerfully, 13 members of his family and extended family ended up coming because they wanted to understand how they too could get more and more enhanced freedom and intimacy in their lives. Joy. Just joy. Great joy. Yeah. You know, and that's true because people see the light. They see when you're joyful and they want to know what you're doing. Why are you so joyful with all the craziness going on in the world? And it's the connection, you know, with the divine. I didn't even ask you this. Are you a religious guy? I am not religious, but I am also not anti-religious. I believe everything is there as a tool for learning. And if we're someone who needs a particular structure in order to explore the spiritual side of ourselves, so be it. Mm-hmm. But what I have done is explored tons of religions right. and seen how the core tenets or approaches or principles are basically the same. Yeah. The rules are just different. And so what I prefer is a universal approach that embraces every path Mm. that goes after the things that can apply to every person versus I agree. We we have God locked up over here and we have the right approach and therefore everybody else has to be wrong. No, I'm with you. That just makes no sense whatsoever. I agree. I, I, uh, I guess came from a background where my grandfather was a Methodist minister. Okay. And I learned a ton. And then I was in a different religion, uh, a Baptist church, where the people were profoundly loving. And yeah. so I have great memories of, but I have just transcended it in the way I approach life now. Right. I guess I meant more like, do you connect to God every day? Like, do you bring in the oh, light? You meditate. That, that, That's what I was going for. <laughs> that, that, that to me has nothing to do with being religious or not religious. But yes, I connect to spirit. You connect and to spirit all, of that all the time. Awesome. Okay, all cool. All the time. You you talk in your book about the male and the female, and that's what we're we're working on, you know, bringing the female energies back. And you talk about it in your book and, you know, the channeling you did with Gabriel talks about it a little bit. Do you want to address it? Because, um, you know, we're all here and we're all souls and we're all, we're just got to love each other regardless of what we are. And there is that balance, you know, the male and the female. And I think that's what everybody's looking for. We've lost the balance, Ron. We've lost the balance between mm. the female. It, it's got to come back into balance. And I think that will help our relationships with each other. Talk about this. Yes, the bottom line for me is that male and female is not mostly about gender. It is about giving and receiving. Mm -hmm. The male energy is the forward energy that moves into life. And the feminine is the female energy of receptivity. And 
we have lost the capacity because of how we grew up without those nurturing needs, the nine nurturing needs that I teach. And when we don't get nurtured consistently, rather than learning to receive and to trust and to claim the feminine, including our capacity to feel our feelings, which is a feminine process, that becomes very fearful and shamed any feelings that mommy, daddy didn't know how to accept and champion and nurture became bad and wrong and unlovable because our limbic brain was personalizing all of that. <laughs> so the feminine got squashed in each person, not just in women. Right. And then the male energy began to overcompensate yeah. to go out and have a career and perform and become famous and do the thing because I don't feel trusting of my inner worth and value. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is the crux of the imbalance, an overcompensation, which creates a patriarchal world, which is not only about men, but we've seen it reflected in men. Right. Then we have the Let's go back to the 1950s and 60s. We had the socialization, the normalization of men do the work and go out in the world and women are supposed to stay, stay home. home and I know. And all of that to me is crap. Yeah. It is it's a stage of learning, but it is not where we're headed at all. And so for women to claim their masculine and feminine giving and receiving potentials is just as important as men doing the same. And I love that I've had the opportunity to teach 50% men over these 25 years and teaching a process of getting in touch with feelings and receiving and nurturing is not a typical thing that men would be drawn to, but I have stayed jammed full of warrior archetypes and every other type of male energy. And I love that I've gotten to see that we are so much more alike as men and women than we've been taught to believe. And if we just balance that inner flow of giving and receiving, we come together in relationships and do the same thing. And there's no such thing as a need for hierarchy or who does what. It can be decided on each individual and what each one needs to develop and what each one needs to have a chance to be championed and flexed so that we help each other find right. that very balance. Yeah, it should be equal. Period. Yes, it should be equal. That's it. Period. Balanced. Yes. Yeah. And we just haven't gotten there. You know, I want you to talk a little bit about, um, we didn't get into it, about your um, messages from um, the Archangel. You tell the audience about that if you wouldn't mind and kind of share yeah. a little bit. With so them. you mentioned a story about a bus at the very beginning of our interview and I never got to it. But the bottom line is when I went to make my debut at Lincoln Center, we first went out of town to do some tryout performances so that we got the show flexed and worked up to what it needed to be before we brought it to New York City stage. And so on the bus ride, I heard a gentleman behind me who was telling about a near-death experience when he had left his body, which he saw floating on the bed beneath him. He went through a tunnel of light like tons of people have shared in their stories of near-death experiences. It's not actually near-death. It equals the same process that someone would go through and when they pass away. However, he got to where he was needing to go, which was a space of so much connection and oneness and balance and love. And he said he'd never felt anything like it. And then he eventually heard a telepathic message in his head that said, you must go back. You have not yet learned how to love. And he found himself going back into his body. And he, four months later, began his first experience of bringing through the energy of Archangel Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Now, he had never even heard of channeling. And basically, it boils down to the same process that happens with a radio. Yeah. We all accept, which was a miracle one century ago, yeah. that information and energy can float through the air and be picked up by a receiver. 
Mm-hmm. But we do it every day now. We just turn on all our gadgets and it flows through the air. We hit a button and somehow the information goes through Wi-Fi, not even through a cable. And that page that we want copied shows up over there. So we know that energy and information can travel through the air. But somehow when it comes to channeling, it seems woo-woo. I know. But What's up with that? It's not. It's not. <laughs> It is simple when think about in for your listeners, think about yes, yes. when you all of a sudden think about Susie and then one minute later, the phone rings. This was Susie's energy coming and hitting your awareness, your receiver, and you thought of her and then she calls. Right. This is just intuitive receiving and we can learn how to develop that and become more evolved in what we can receive. I think we are. Don't you think we are right now? I think everybody's like really become way more psychic in the last few years. I really do. We are waking up and more of our inherent potential is becoming accessible to us, particularly if we're working on ourselves and nurturing the old fear, shame, and judgment stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes, we are receiving more. And so Robert discovered way back in 1990 that he could receive this energy and the energy of Archangel Gabriel spoke through him. Now, the phenomenon of channeling was not nearly as important to me as the information. Right. So I don't care whether he channeled it or whether Bozo the Clown mailed him a letter. It was it's profound. Clear, profound. I know. I know. Loving information. And so I take readers in my book through the process of me being taught about this entire journey of self and soul journeys by bringing in not only my journey through reparenting my child, but me being taught from the energy of Gabriel. Yeah. Because it is the most specific nurturing information I personally have ever heard. And so it made such a profound difference to me. And then the people I passed it on to over these 25 years that I was like, I want more people to have access to this. So that's why I wrote the book. I love it. It's fantastic. Well, I got to tell you, I've been channeling Gabriel for maybe a year and a half, two years now. I can't even tell you how long I put the messages up on the website. Um, I feel blessed like you do to get the information. Um, what I'm asking him these days is, you know, what can people do how to help humanity at this point? Because there is so much craziness going on in the world and just to help keep people centered. But when I read the information that he provided back in, you know, the 90s, I mean, it's the same information that I'm receiving now. It's it's the same stuff. It's about the heart. It's about love. It's about compassion. And I mean, how lucky you were and how blessed you were to have gotten that information way back then to help you. Yes, and there are very practical ways to apply it and make it experiential rather than so conceptual and broad. Yeah. And so I have spent these 25 years refining specific tools, specific practices, specific things that every person needs as a natural thing. It's like, wow. We were taught to brush our teeth. Well, guess what? Back us up 200 years. They weren't brushing their teeth. They had no idea. But we now go, oh, of course we brush our teeth. Well, that's a practice that is serving a purpose that keeps us in greater health. So the inner self Mm -hmm. also needs. The same kind of practical, consistent, reliable, nurturing processes that allow us to blossom into more and more and more of ourselves. And I call it creating a life that gets better and better and better, dot, dot, dot. I love it. I love it. Well, it's true. And, you know, Ron, I I think um, I teach the audience to connect with the divine, to bring the light in, because in my mind, this is just me. I think that if I can just teach people that it's not weird and it's not woo woo to connect with Mother Earth, to bring up the light and to bring in the light. I think everybody should connect every day and meditate for five minutes, just like they brush their teeth. That's what I think. 
I think if I could get everybody to get up in the morning, connect with God, take five minutes and just chill and get your messages, man, wouldn't it be a different world? You know what I'm saying? It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And to bring it down to something that every single person can relate to, because it's what we do every single day. If it's okay, I'm going to do just a brief exercise. Yeah, yeah right? let's do it. Let's do it. What Perfect. Do so I'm going to say a word. And when you hear the word, I don't want you to change a single thing about what you're already doing, but just pay attention. The word is breath. Don't change. Just focus on what you're already doing. I can guarantee you from having done this for so long that almost every single person will discover that they're breathing very shallowly just into the upper chest. I call this survival breathing. Mm -hmm. And if that's all I'm going to breathe, I can't really move energy in a powerful way through my body. Right. But if we learn how to do what was natural all the way back to being an infant, and then we take it and expand that scope, we will start to move more energy, which creates vitality and health and much more acute mind, all kinds of benefits. For instance, I've only been sick two days in 25 years wow. because of moving the energy. Okay. So now take what you consider to be a proactive breath in the nose and out the mouth. All of you listening, please do that. I can almost guarantee you that your chest expands, but not your lower belly. A baby lying on its back in a crib, the only thing that moves is the belly going up and down. We knew how to do this as infants. Yeah. Because of all the child experiences, the fear, oh, shame, and judgment, we end up blocking in the lower body and we raise the breath up as high as possible, hoping we can avoid triggering the fear, shame, and judgment. And that's just a child's misunderstanding. I also guarantee you, in addition to your chest expanding, but not your lower body, the out-breath usually looks something like this, out the mouth, versus a full proactive release that sounds, if you're listening versus watching, it sounds more like this. Do I seem threatened in any way because I breathed fully? What we don't understand is that every breath you take not only determines whether energy moves in your body, but it's also a clear message when you breathe in, how much do I give a message to my body that I deserve to receive? Speaking of the female energy, Gotcha. If I if I just breathe to my upper chest, I am saying I only deserve enough breath to survive. And that then translates to I only deserve enough financial abundance to survive, just enough to pay my bills, just enough, just enough, just enough versus I can give a message to my nervous system that says I deserve to receive fully. And then what about that out breath? It says, how safe do I feel to share or assert who I am on the inside? And people go, oh, I don't want to share who I am on the inside. I don't even, I, I, I've hidden that stuff for years and years, decades now. And so when I breathed out, I create a space that says to my nervous system, I'm safe to share whatever I decide. It doesn't mean everybody can now see everything I have held in here. But over time, I want the freedom to be able to share with the people closest to me anything and everything that I happen to be going through <laughs> so that I create this flow of male and female energy and create these beautiful, intimate connections. But if you don't breathe and connect to yourself, you don't even have the option. You can report information, but you're not actually 
connecting and receiving. For instance, people go to hug each other. Next time you go to hug someone, pay attention. I almost guarantee you both people stop breathing. You hug and you go. Oh, you're right. And you grip and it's like bumping rocks. It's Ron, this not- is genius. Ron, this is genius. When did you figure this out? I just need to, I mean, I just think it's genius. Now I know why you came on the show today to teach us this. This is a- Well, the bottom line is like, I, just- I, discovered, I discovered in my early 20s did you? that I could feel other people's energy. Right. You talk feel- about this. You talk yes. about this in the book. Yeah. In the book. Yes. And so I began to feel where people were blocked, what feelings were gripped. And now I can teach people how to recognize it in themselves and everybody finds out, wow, we can be so much more connected than yes. we've ever been rather than gripping and not breathing and bumping rocks and reporting information, but it doesn't touch us. It doesn't move us in the same way that learning to have the option And then deciding with whom I'd like to connect that fully. And so next time you hug someone, hug for more than half a second and actually take a breath with that person, purposefully relaxing your heart and imagine connecting heart to heart. I do this with all my clients and they're blown away. And how safe and enhancing the experience is. And I said, you can only trust what you experience. Mm -hmm. And so when you open your heart and connect in this way, experience shows you there's no threat whatsoever. All of that child myth that doesn't even allow me to connect and hug. People aren't even intimate with their spouses, I know it's really weird. People don't even like to hug. It's strange. It's a strange thing. I, I got to go back to the breathing because I want to ask you something because I do yes, this because I you hit right on. You hit me. I'm like, oh, I, I do that. And I want to know, did it take you a while of just being, um, I guess, aware of your breath to change? Like, what do you teach people? Like, how do you change it? How do you Do you just start being more aware? Is the awareness what changes your breath? Do you you see what I'm saying? Yes. Awareness alone is not going to change anything. It's a gorgeous first step to become conscious or aware of what I have been doing. Right. But then you have to go through clear modeling or teaching of what the technique can be. Right. Like it's as simple as putting your hands on your lower belly and seeing when you breathe in, if you can fill up your lower belly, like, for instance, someone who's six months pregnant. And this is like going to the gym. You're not going to walk down the street breathing this way. You're building the scope of breath. Like when you go to the gym, you go and you flex the biceps by doing dumbbell curls, but you don't walk down the street with the dumbbells. Yeah, that's true. You just build the strength and the scope so that when you need to call on that strength or that capacity to breathe. So people who have anxiety, people who have panic attacks, Mm -hmm. it's simply because the breath is so tiny that when they go into contraction, there's no negotiation space. But if you build the breath into a much bigger scope then when you go into contraction, you have tons of space left and you don't need to go into anxiety and survival threat because you have the capacity. So it's great to know when I need to pick up a heavy box for myself or someone else that I've built that strength at the gym or from whatever I do. Right. And the same thing is true emotionally and energetically, but nobody talks about self. I know. I just think that's great because no one's ever talked to me about the breath before. And I have a tendency to do that. And what you said makes so much sense, but I guess, you know, the audience can um, practice it and I will practice it. And I think the more that you're aware that you're doing it, like, I, I I don't know. I just, I think about. I also have tons of videos and things on my website, ronbaker.net. Okay, cool. In the book and various techniques. So cool. there are ways people can find out. Okay, cool. 
Well, Ron, we're going to have to get out of here for today, but I want to know if there's anything that you'd like to leave us with. I would like to leave you with a message that we all needed to hear as a child. Okay. So hear me talking to each one of you, because I've said this to every single one of my clients. You are a sacred individual on a soul journey. And of course you have challenges. And of course you have gifts. You may not even know what those are today, but they're held inside you. As a matter of fact, you have so much potential held inside you mm-hmm. that if you start to go inside and connect, you can learn to claim more and more and more of self for the rest of your life. And the bottom line truth, whether you know it today yet as an experience or not, is that you truly matter. It does not matter what level you have reached. It does not matter how much you've achieved yet of your potential. You're just as sacred in first grade as you are in fifth grade or 10th grade or grad school. Mm-hmm. Just show up and get the tools you need so that you can learn the deeper truth about this sacred sense of self. If we had heard this at the beginning of our lives, we would have already been on this conscious journey the whole time. But I had to find out at around 30 years old, and it is my great privilege to hold the truth of it for so many other people and teach you how to value yourself. And only then can you truly value your friends, family, the people around you, the world around you. It all starts with the relationship you're having with self. And so that's the message I leave you with. You matter. Wonderful. Beautiful. I love it. Okay, you guys, the book is called Bright Lights, Big Empty, A Journey of Profound Awakening by Ron Baker. Ron, thanks for coming on the show. I truly appreciate it. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, you guys. And if you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyrelt.com, and you can book your date and time. This is High Road to Humanity, and I hope you guys have a terrific week, and God bless.